Hi, I'm Terry, Instagram's sassy sober mum. Welcome to my podcast, Sober Stories from Everyday People, bringing you stories from people just like you and I. The aim of this podcast is to share our experiences with drinking and how we got and stayed successfully sober. Hello, and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today, I have the lovely Annie from Scotland, who's been sober for three years. Um, She got sober the same year that I did. So I got sober in the April of 2019, and she got sober in the June of 2019. Uh, She's also the host of a brilliant podcast called Behind the Mother Mask. And I was recently a guest on your show, Annie. So it's so lovely to have you here and to reconnect. Oh, so lovely. And thank you. And actually, I'm really excited um, to be able to talk about this because it's probably not something that I talk about daily, but it's a huge part of who I am and the work that I now do. So um, I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm excited too. And I am lucky that I've already had a great chat with you. So I know you have so much good stuff to say, uh, lots of wisdom. So um, yeah, let's let's jump in. Let's understand a little bit more about you. Uh, so please introduce yourself. This is really funny because recently I've had quite a few new followers on Instagram, as I'm sure you can relate to your amazing account. Um, so I've been thinking about my About Me post and Terry, I've put it off because I can't fit my life into that square. Um, so I'll try and keep it brief um but yes I live in Scotland I'm not from Scotland as you can probably hear um but I live here with my husband we actually moved here because he got a job as a snowboard coach he doesn't do that anymore but that's how we ended up here and uh we have a daughter Bonnie who is a destroyer of worlds she's come into our life in a very positive way to teach us um all the things that we need to learn about ourselves to be better people (laughs) she's very headstrong and spirited and she's sick um, I know you can probably relate. You've got three girls. Um, so <laughs> I was liking how 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 uh, eloquent that was. <laughs> She's very spirited. <laughs> very spirited. It is like you know me being reflected back, and that's a hard lesson to. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'm uh, yes. Yeah, so I am a coach. I'm a transformational coach. I work with mums, and the main kind of modalities that I use, or the the way that I support mums is through NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. And that's really helping people to understand their inner world and their limiting beliefs and values and these kind of unconscious programming that drives their behavior. And I couple that with nutritional therapy and functional medicine, which I absolutely love because I don't think you can separate the mind and the body. And that's what I've learned through my journey and previous kind of alcohol, drugs, etc., <laughs> is that we need to look at ourselves and people as a whole and holistically. So um, I tend to, and it's really actually, it's hard. We're just talking about limiting beliefs. You know, I work with mums who are exhausted, overwhelmed, anxious, but who isn't? But I think the common kind of beliefs, and this is what I've experienced, is that kind of feeling of being broken and not enough. And like there's something wrong with you. And this kind of um, 
worry that we might be damaging our kids in some way. So a big part of my work is kind of looking at that and it's looking at your energy, it's looking at your identity and sense of purpose, but also unresolved trauma and how they all come together. Um, I'm a rock star. Like I should have been a rock star. I'm not a rock star. I should have been. I wanted to be a Blue Peter presenter. I wanted to be on Hollyoaks. Um, I still want to be on stage, but now it's much more around inspirational speaking and not rocking out. I did play the bass guitar. I love festivals. I love rock music. I'm not really a surface level person. Like I don't really enjoy talking about the weather and, you know, this kind of surface chat, although I'm happy to share my body temperature. (laughs) I really like to go beneath the surface. And I think I've always been like that. Like I'm a very empathic kind of sensitive person. And um, I do have, I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 38. And I kind of described that as walking around like a raw nerve that I just pick up on everything. And that can be a blessing and a curse. Um, but I think it really helps me empathize with my clients and who I'm here to kind of work with and be the mum that I want to be. Um, I think on, I don't know if you've ever done the Enneagram test, but I'm like a four, which is the same as Glennon Doyle. <laughs> I love her. Um, and my basic fear in life is not having any significance or identity and that probably goes back to wanting to be on stage and be seen but equally hide away um and my basic desire is really to be myself and I think there's definitely a big part of me that is the rebel which may have got me into my drinking antics and stuff in in the past but ultimately I think I'm just on this journey to find myself and find out more and um yeah that's me in a nutshell sorry if it went off on some tangents <laughs> no it's absolutely perfect um Glennon Doyle yeah that rings a bell I'm sure I listened to a podcast with her has she got a the, the, this rebel thing you just mentioned that uh, what's that book from so she has a podcast called we can do hard things and her book is untamed yeah okay um yeah so Yes. So that's definitely been a characteristic in me because I grew up as a bit of a good girl and that's definitely not who I am today. And I think sometimes, which I'm sure we'll go into, is to go your own way and put yourself in the center and do what's right for you. You need to be a bit of a rebel. It is a courageous act to be yourself. um, And it's not easy. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, can I ask, what made you seek the diagnosis? in in ADHD because there is a lot of um links isn't there between women ADHD and problematic drinking let's say oh god yes and this could be a podcast in itself I actually did record this was one of the first episodes I did for why I did my podcast so I kind of recorded my journey there but in a nutshell um I had COVID in last it was August it was 2020 2020 I think and honestly like it's like that virus did something weird to my nervous system and it's not the only thing and I think there was a lot of other things going on I was trying to up level my business do more high ticket I became very focused on money I kind of strangled the joy out of my work and the mission that I'm trying to do in the first place um got kind of smothered 
and my health went really badly downhill to like August. It must have, no, it was 2021. Sorry. And that Christmas was terrible. And then I saw my friend Kate Moyusef launched her podcast on ADHD and women's well-being. And I resonated with what she was saying. And I thought, this is interesting. Mm. It made a lot of sense in terms of the symptoms mm. and how it manifests differently. So, for example, like hyperactivity is more about hyperactivity in the brain and the mind, not just being that kind of busy kid that can't sit still. It's like you can't switch your brain off and I just thought that maybe most people were like that or there was something wrong with me mm. um so constant overthinking easily overwhelmed highly sensitive um and you're absolutely right honestly you look back on your journey and you look at your your past you look at your drinking you look at your behaviors you look at your hormonal patterns because there's a huge link there postnatal depression was it really when I look at having this information now it's a cluster of different kind of factors it makes a lot of sense like having a child and already being in this kind of chronic state of overwhelm it's almost like you're sensitive to everything like I said being that raw nerve so that was really interesting um but what I will just say is from that because I'm a very holistic kind of person innately I go towards more naturopathic methods medication wasn't an option for me it's just not who I am so I got some help and worked with another functional medicine practitioner because I don't think you can do this alone and did a bunch of tests and really looked at what was going on inside my body and that has been empowering because it puts you more at the cause and not the effect and not the label but actually when I had the diagnosis I was a little bit like oh well I'm still left with me great where shall I take this um so I went down that path and I'll tell you this now I'm feeling I wouldn't be doing this now with you if I was feeling how I was like I'd stopped working for nearly a year so I'm feeling so much better with my focus the brain fog isn't there so much I'm able to actually um, get stuff done. My energy is back. Like I feel better. It was almost like my nervous system fell apart and everything was disconnected and I couldn't make sense of stuff. And it's so, so much better. And I'm still on that journey. So I'm hearing a lot of women identify with these symptoms and get diagnosed later on. Um, It's really, really interesting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you never know who might be listening to mm. this and might think, oh my God, she's telling, she's telling my story here. Yeah. And that might prompt a, a chain of actions to, to help somebody else. So um, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. So uh, switching back into uh, the drinking, um, describe your life with alcohol. I do apologize if I laugh like I'm not to trivialize it but I do use humor um quite a lot it's how I've kind of managed to get through but through life yeah same (laughs) yeah so I've been without alcohol for three and a bit years and actually this year I forgot the anniversary or whatever um I totally forgot and that's a sign that it's really not in my life anymore um but it was going back to when I, I want to say six, but I feel like Bonnie wouldn't do this, but I was putting the head 
my head under the optics in my dad's pub. He had like a restaurant um, and me and my brother would go and drink the Baileys because it was just tastes so nice. Um, <laughs> so I was brought up in the environment of hospitality. My dad was a real host. He had like a real passion for wine Um but very much from a sociable point of view and appreciation, like with a good meal around people, um, really kind of traditional, almost his, his thing with the food was around French food. So it was a bit more European and I kind of could see it was, it looked healthy to me, like, um, how he was living his life and positive And it was, and I think for me, I, when I got to 13 or 14, I just rebelled. I remember I used to do competitive dressage. So I was trained by this Olympic trainer who's amazing. But when I was 13, I was in this caravan in like Stone the Wild, having to decide whether I'm going to go and be his head groom. And that could have taken me down an Olympic kind of pathway and opportunities or do something else. And this is where the kind of train spotting situation came in. I chose something else, but I didn't know what that was. And at 13, I remember just lying in his caravan, not knowing who the hell I was. And when I think back as my fear is having no significance or identity and my desire to be myself, I didn't know who I was. And there's a whole story, backstory to why that is, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But I felt lost and I felt like I was a child having to make adult decisions. Um, So giving up the horses was almost like going against my mum's passion as well and what my parents had kind of given me um, in search of myself and something else but I didn't really know what that was so when I went to college I moved out at 16 I I literally did kind of just break away and moved out and this is where I ended up getting into music and festivals and drinking before that I was the person that went out with school friends and drunk on the school roof and like in the car parks and stuff but we we would dress up and we do it quite nicely <laughs> um but I moved school in my GCSE year so that's another kind of significant change having to make new friends um so the drinking was probably very much to fit in but it affected me quite significantly like I would get drunk quite easily I would want more I wouldn't want to stop um and now I know or I know now looking back I was probably suppressing and numbing much bigger more complex emotions that were going on on the inside and you know if we think about ADHD Gabor Mate sees it as a response to developmental trauma um so maybe at some point that was an issue there but as women we mask so I looked like a good girl like there's no problem that kind of thing but there was a rich inner world going on on the inside and I think it just helped me numb out my overactive thoughts um and a lot of stuff that I didn't understand at the time to do with transgenerational trauma didn't know any of that so I was drinking and then college is where it kind of stepped up like I would literally go out of college to drink at the pub but what I have to be honest with drugs were very closely I was never I wasn't drinking for long without drugs like they came in probably when I was 17 18 Glastonbury 2000 that was it for me 
David Bowie and a lot of fucking acid and pills and <laughs> and there's no going back. Um, and drink. So drink has always been there. It's almost been like this kind of life-sucking companion or bolster to the other things that I went on to take in this bid to kind of numb, find myself, escape, find freedom, have fun, all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can give you just a bit of a lowdown. Drinking has got me arrested. It's got me in trouble. I've lost my license. Um, I've had to be through, gone through the court process. This is all in the past, by the way. Um, and it's got me in some terrible kind of situations around relationships. I've done some stupid things. Um, like I would be the person that would climb over my car dressed as a tiger. I was just wearing a leopard print dress. Um, and just silly things, some borderline dangerous. And, you know, people would say to me after I'd given up booze that I wasn't a good drunk Okay. Um, I thought I did it really well, but okay, no, that makes sense because um, I wasn't. But you kind of think, where were people to kind of help you or step Mm -hmm. in? But I think I was carrying this whole inner load, this inner world, and it was just like pouring fuel on the fire Mm -hmm. of that. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Probably a lot more. Uh, uh, Yeah. Um, it's, It's quite mad, isn't it, when you reflect... Um, and you think about some of the situations that you allowed yourself to get into. Um, Like you, I had those sorts of moments. You know, I I, I remember going on holiday to Lanzarote uh, with with quite a new boyfriend in my mid-20s. I think I was 24 or 25. And on the first night of that holiday, I drank so many blue drinks in kind of knickerbocker glory style glasses um that i ended up in in an ambulance and i remembered when i was in that ambulance as well i had this weird kind of surreal situation happen where i woke up and i thought all these people were trying to hurt me and i was fighting and punching them or you know i was obviously lying on a on a, on a bed in the back of a ham- an ambulance and it felt like we were in the desert and i thought they were going to take me and shoot me or something really dark and horrific mm. um, and i just woke up the next morning obviously i'd been in hospital and my you know at the time new boyfriend was there and the, it was just horrendous the shame I weirdly went out and drank that night as well. I mean, yes. it's like, why do you do these things? You know, it and and yeah, so like you, there was a series of what you could probably define as mini rock bottoms if, if you wanted yeah. to give it a label. But yet for me, 24, I carried on drinking for another 15, 16 years before I decided to, you know, to quit. And and those moments did still pop up throughout the years so yeah it's a weird drug alcohol isn't it you just you got to keep taking it (laughs) at all costs it's so weird because back then it was not my drug of choice it was just a cushion it was almost like the burger bun to the burger which was more the drugs and it was the pathway to that it was always the pathway to trouble Mm. you know I wouldn't just go out and take drugs you'd have drink and you'd end up on that pathway or even around you know self-harm I used to do that a lot and it always happened 
not when I was sober, like when Mm. I was under the influence. And just to think about it being such a depressant and thinking about like neurotransmitters and nervous system and all this stuff and the impact of unresolved trauma and maybe some of those ADHD type symptoms. It was just putting fuel on the fire to really lowering my mood and my resilience and how inflammatory it is as well. Like, oh, when I think about what I put in my body and what I did to myself and like you, it went on for years. I had some real low moments, but it kept on. And even after, so sorry, in 20, 2004, this is a good story. <laughs> I um, detoxed in a rehabilitation center in Thailand <laughs> for drugs. So I went to the biggest drug capital of the world to get off them. But it was like a Buddhist monastery. And um, I've only got fond memories of this. That's why I'm smiling. I was a big fan of the rock band Slipknot back then. And literally when I got there, we had to give our things over and put on these orange pajamas. So I literally looked like a band member of Slipknot. Um, But it was so bizarre because the reason I was there was because of heroin. It wasn't because of alcohol. It wasn't because of coke, ketamine, acid, all the other things, Um, heroin and methadone, because I thought that I had gone too far and my body literally said no. Um, So I ended up there. That's another story. And I went through their process of detoxification, which was very much about taking these crazy herbs. Interestingly, I take herbs now for my hormones and they taste the same. But with these, I had to vomit them back up. Um, And you would do this for 10 days to detox your body and it would be like an entertainment thing for local schools they'd come and watch you do the bomb show (laughs) it's crazy Um, but you know whatever um so I did that we had to get up at five and sweep the monastery and there was something in that like sweeping away the kind of bad thoughts or demons and we had to sing the Thai national anthem each day twice and we did steam baths and all sorts of things. Um, and whilst I was out there, I bought, I met this kind of, uh, he's a singer songwriter and he played the guitar and he'd written some songs and he'd been there for his own journey previously. And he'd gone back to do some music stuff. So I ended up buying a bass guitar and I was allowed on the last day to play with him on stage, um, <laughs> at this Buddhist festival in my orange pajamas <laughs> so surreal this is <laughs> I know so here's the thing about that that worked in terms of detoxification but when I left I was left with myself and I was left with all the demons the ghosts in the walls the suppressed things that I didn't really understand and I continued to drink because that was socially acceptable it's the only drug we're kind of encouraged to do Mm. Um, whereas I stripped back the other things I did continue with that and I continued that was 2004 and obviously I gave up in 2019 Mm. so you can only imagine the battle the inner conflict that you go through because you know deep down it's not good for you that you don't need it all of this stuff but you keep going and I think things changed with motherhood for me yeah I was going to ask you about that actually um, because motherhood would have come a few years before you stopped if I've got my maths right there Uh, so can you just describe what that few years was like you know uh, obviously um, you you had a baby and then you had a few years and then you 
stop drinking what what was that three years like describe that right so having Bonnie was the eruption of all my kind of unresolved stuff (laughs) so along with sleep deprivation along with the depletion um the isolation like all of this stuff so I did I didn't drink so I didn't drink in pregnancy I might have had one beer once and I didn't drink in the early days um oh uh, but it crept in you know it did it did creep in quite early on um and I think what happened it was that five o'clock drinking it was such a coping mechanism on reflect like it was just I was exhausted I was dealing with so much I was wanting to be the best for Bonnie there was just so much we did we were renovating the house we still are we had no money Dan was made redundant like there was just so much going on and um I did fall into this five o'clock drinking pattern and then I had two situations I went out with this group of mums who it was a bit tinderish in terms of we were together because we went to the same group but we probably weren't soul aligned in terms of like being proper friends but you know Mm. what they were there and I got wasted Mm. like I got so wasted it's awful and I told everyone that I had postnatal depression because I felt ashamed of it it's the first time I told anyone and then I came home and I was like so ill um so there was that and then the kind of five o'clock drinking continued because I didn't really go out in the evening that much anymore And then the big turning point was um, 2019, I'd gone to see my friends, two really good friends in London and loved them, like really safe environment, loved them. We went to next door neighbor's barbecue and I just had a great time and drank too much gin and didn't eat enough. But it was an awful lot of alcohol compared to what I had drunk. And I was so ill. I was sick. Like it was awful and I had to travel back from London to Edinburgh the next day and I was a mum and face Bonnie and it was the last straw yeah talking about being motivated by pain that was it so it was from that that I decided to do a year no beer and didn't go back oh oh I really I feel um that pain and shame um when you describe that because yeah, I, I I say this a lot on the show, but my last night was basically just a, a night where I drank too much, didn't eat enough, drank too much too quickly. Yeah. I'd really pressed the fuck it button on yeah. that night. It's like, let's just go for it. Let's just go yeah. out. We, we can. We're, we're away from home. I'm away from the kids for the night. We can just do this. And I woke up and I was in all kinds of pain and shame and regret. And I had to go home and face my husband who was my fiance then and my kids who were going back at four o'clock and I just I thought I just thought I couldn't cope with that that's horrible couldn't cope with that the anxiety was immense and I just remembered being so desperate for it to be bedtime so that I could go to sleep and try and wake up better the next day but I made my decision that same day you know I that that morning I think that morning or that lunchtime I just thought I can't that's it that is it. I can't do it. It's amazing, isn't it? That sort of that how how negative and how bad that feeling is, and yet it pushes you into that period of growth. And so much positivity comes from that. But it, it starts off in a dark place, doesn't it? And and honestly, like this is me. This is my approach to life. But I do think like 
the universe shoves you in the right direction. Like I do believe in that, that there's more than just us. And, you know, not that we deserve to go through all this suffering and people have to go through that before they make the decision. But it just makes sense to me when I look back Um, and we can talk about what happened after that. But it just makes sense that that had to go for me to evolve and grow into the next level of my life. Yeah, Um, 100%. Yeah, so let's let's expand on that a bit then. So that was the key defining moment for you at the, the start of your sober journey. You mentioned One Year No Beer, which is a fantastic organisation. I, I I very much delved into a lot of their philosophy and their podcasts and all of that sort of stuff in the beginning as well. Because I, I I found a lot of comfort, even though I wanted to stop forever. I liked the way that they were approaching you know, let's just get through the first year sort of thing. So what else did you do? And just talk us through how you got sober. So I literally just gave it up. And it's quite interesting because it was a hard year after, (laughs) I'd say it's been a hard three years, but it's not just bad, it's good and bad. But I think for me, And what I've said to people in the past is that I feel everything. So to take away the alcohol, I know what I'm left with is true. Whatever that is, however intense that is, whatever comes up, it is me. Mm. And that felt, it felt good. It's also been hard to face myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what the journey has been afterwards. And, you know, I, the first six months, I think, were hard because of certain birthdays, family gatherings, events, things that I would normally drink at and use that as a kind of tool um, that I didn't. And honestly, I was faced with some quite, you know, challenges during that, those times. And I found them quite hard. But after I got past that six months and then into the summer, so that was around like Christmas and then into the summer where you just, oh, you see people in beer gardens and that kind of thing. I knew I was fine. And I got to a year and I was like, I'm just going to keep going. Mm. And I think then I knew that I probably wouldn't go back Mm. Um, the biggest temptations had kind of passed. And that's when I really went further on this journey to finding out who I am, you know, the impact of alcohol. One of my friend's husbands asked me like why I gave it up. And I said to reduce inflammation on my body and support my detoxification pathways. He's like, I have never, ever heard that um, reason ever. So, well, you know what? I, I am a nutritional therapist. I was being a functional medicine practitioner and helping people, but yet I was still putting things in my body that my body being sensitive and being that raw nerve couldn't cope with. Mm. You know, when I think about what it did to my gut and my microbiome and my like liver and how, you know, we have to detoxify environmental toxins, hormones, stress hormones, alcohol, sugar. So the alcohol kind of blocks up the funnel in a way. So no wonder you start to hold on to fat. No wonder you start to have hormonal imbalances, brain fog, overwhelm because of inflammation. Mm. And that was something I was really interested in. And then obviously the more kind of entrenched stuff around the childhood trauma and my identity and who I am and who I'm becoming um, 
was able to come up and I was able to face it and go on that journey to recover who I really am really because I think it was masked by the substances and a lot of fear Mm. and that is that when you uh, launched your podcast as well when you were going through that sort of process of growth Oh, it's really funny. The podcast has only been launched in June, but I had another one before called Be You Mum. And it's really interesting because after I had Bonnie and I d- identified all these gaps that mums fall through um, that weren't talked about, um, that's when about kind of two years I really struggled. I started to come back and put this program and this work together. And when I look back, my mission has always been the same. Mm. Whether I've called it the Be Mum podcast, whether I'm working with energy or I'm doing this, my mission is has always been the same. So um, it's definitely about looking at those kind of the hidden mother load, the stuff that we suppress and how that steals our energy. And this whole masking thing is huge, isn't it? That's actually been through my life quite a lot. So interesting. When I think about now, I've got a podcast called Behind the Mother Mask because we hide who we truly are. We're scared to be ourselves. We're worried about what people think. Mm. And we're worried, like you do an amazing job of this, to talk about some of these past behaviors, to talk about what I see as being survival strategies that once served you but now are outdated outgrown they don't have their place anymore and ultimately you're just trying to meet a deeper need yeah that's a really nice way of looking at it um so many people that reach out to me ask for help around how can they try to process the shame that they feel yes um that's wrapped up in their past drinking behavior or decisions and um you know that that is a it it is a difficult area isn't it to lift the lid on that and start to look at it and to accept it and I think that's a really nice way that you describe there you know at the end of the day we are just trying to cope with life trying to cope they're just strategies drinking is just a strategy at the time that culturally we've been raised to believe will fix everything mm-hmm. and that it's perfectly acceptable um and so you can see why people fall into that drinking trap and then obviously when you understand the brain science and how alcohol works you can really quickly identify why you make those bad decisions and yeah. do stupid things but there is work to do there but I think that's a really nice way and I try to convey that when I reply to people and you know I say look you know I always felt like I was a good person just trapped in a bad cycle just just trapped in a in a bad coping mechanism you know alcohol wasn't very good for me and I just couldn't see that that doesn't you know it doesn't make me a bad person so that's helped me to forgive myself and to want to go back and hug myself in some ways because I see now that I was just quite vulnerable and lost and broken in some areas of my life um and that fosters a lot of compassion um so in did you read any life-changing books I'm, I'm interested in yeah what can yeah, you do? I actually did not necessarily alcohol focused but I remember painting Bonnie's room and listening so I listen to things I don't read them um Braving the Wilderness by Brenny Brown and I love, just love Brenny Brown. 
Oh my God. So she breaks it down. It's all about being your authentic self. And sometimes that means being the rebel and stepping up and raising your standards and stepping away from the crowd and opting for courage over comfort. And that really resonated with me so much. And there was something in there that she said about showing up with a soft front, strong back and wild heart. That has Oh, it gives me goosebumps yeah, saying same. you can be soft and sensitive and childlike, but you can also have the resilience, the backbone of your story. And you know what you were saying about people with shame? Like if you zoom out on the bigger picture of your life and you look at your whole life story and understand it didn't always start with you and the generational story and what you're doing. Oh my God, it's your story that's your resource that becomes someone else's survival guide. Mm-hmm. And Am I going to let what people think get in the way of me sharing that? No, but it has been a journey. And I think it's about, you don't have to harden up. You don't have to armor up or mask or change that. It's that vulnerability Mm. that I think really connects us and it relieves us of some of our suffering. It's kind of our honesty is how we let go of some of these things and just saying them out loud. And I don't think shame can exist when it's spoken. Um, so yeah, Brené Brown, Braving the Wilderness, and then I went on to read more of her stuff and and, and other books as, as well. Also, another really good one that I read from beginning to end, it's the only book I've ever finished, and Brené Brown's, is Fearless by Pippa Grange. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's how to win deep, not shallow. And she said, if, you're, if you are performing at life, you are not truly living your life. And how many of us perfect, please perform and put the mask on and be who we think we should be over who we truly are. Um, So that's another one. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that a lot of people um, could say that they were performing at life. If they, I mean, to be honest, it takes a lot of awareness and that approach of being really, honest with yourself which is quite hard it is hard um but it is doable but yeah I I think there's a I think there's probably a lot of that um for sure I'm really interested in that book I've never heard of it before so I'm inspired I'm gonna I'm gonna look that one up brilliant Um, so yeah so you mentioned that for the first six months it was a bit of a if I heard correctly, it was a bit of a bumpy ride in terms of emotionally. Um, can you just describe that a bit? How did you feel relating that to sobriety in sort of isolation, if that makes sense? How did you feel about not drinking or not drinking anymore? It was definitely like I'd lost that emotional crutch. You know, it, it was... This, the thing that I turn to to get through situations and also the social side, you know, normally if you're around family and stuff, the kids would go to bed and everyone would stay up. So that just changed for me. Yeah. It really did. You know, I value my energy and my alone time and um, I would stay up if I'd had a drink. So I think not having that emotional crutch not being able to or choosing not to suppress what was coming up and having to face it and having to change how I socially interacted and maybe you know boundaries around my 
social interaction as well. And health-wise, you know, I lost weight. I lost inflammation from the body. Uh, My skin improved. Um, I felt better. I felt like it almost lifted that layer of complexity from my life because what I was left with was true. So I didn't have to go through the whole second guessing myself in a conflict. Did I say this? Did I say that? It took all of that away. So that was really positive. Mm. But I will say, like for me, it has been a journey. There has been bigger things to face that if I'd continued to drink, I wouldn't have. Mm. So um, it's, only positive but I think it's having that courage and like you said the awareness to then face yourself and be kind to yourself and as you're not drinking you are having more energy you're having more clarity so I actually think sometimes it's the brain fog and the fatigue that gets in the way of that awareness you know we almost disconnect from our true self so when we lift a layer of that and we start to probably eat well just Mm -hmm because we've given up we're health focused so we're eating better I was I drink a lot of water so I was an exercising so I was just feeling more able to cope with the other stuff that was coming up I had the headspace for it so um yeah I think it was just um certain like family dynamics certain situations social situations feelings that I would normally go and drink it wasn't an option anymore so I had to face I had to find different ways and that was probably giving myself grace and having alone time having that solitude going for a walk I'm a nutritional therapist so that's really important to me how I eat and how I nourish my body and um, looking at ways I can replenish after what has been a legacy of depletion yeah (laughs) yeah yes yeah so beautifully put that isn't it and I think that it does take time doesn't mm. it you know not not just mentally to readjust but physically um and some people will sometimes message me and say why am I not really thin <laughs> a yeah. few months in or and, and I know some people's initial reaction might be weight loss but I had an issue with sugar <laughs> once, yeah. I stopped, yeah. once I stopped drinking and um I could not stop eating chocolate and cakes and biscuits for several months, actually. So whilst I definitely um, lost some of the puffiness, I suppose, or inflammation and certainly on my face and things like that, um, I I, I didn't, I had to tackle the sugar several months in and, and make a conscious effort to reduce it and you know move more but you know I still struggle with that sometimes now even though three and a half years in I feel very stable in my sobriety mentally I'm very strong and I'm very equipped to handle all the changing world around me and and inside of me as well I I sort of I've learned I've practiced I like that word I've practiced dealing with my feelings and that has made me better at it but at the moment I am going through a phase of um, I am eating too much sugar and I'm not moving. And I've gone from being very good in the summer um, and having a great routine and it has completely 
just stopped. And I have had some stress recently and I do think that's impacted a bit. And yes. I, and I'm trying to be kind to myself, like Terry, you know, just because you put on a few pounds, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, and all of those sorts of conversations, but you know, these things don't go away, do they? You know, they are, well, you know, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're still there, aren't they? Life is still life, isn't it? And it's interesting you say that. I love the phrase new level, new devil, because as we kind of up level in our life, challenges will come up. You know, our body will require more nourishment, will require as much space as we do productivity. You know, maybe some of those ghosts in the walls or unconscious beliefs are still rumbling away, but it's because we're up leveling. This is what I found. And a big part of my journey was looking at my body as well from a functional medicine. So like alcohol is full of sugar, isn't it? Mm. And it can kill our gut bugs and feed them and our gut bugs love sugar. So you take that away. And if you've got dysbiosis or imbalance in the gut then it's possible that those bugs are craving it um, through different means you're still left with those cravings so it's almost looking at the body holistically what is the impact of alcohol and stress over those years and what does it need in order to come back into balance like I find that really interesting and you definitely do see this kind of healing crisis like as you're trying to rebalance it can feel a bit shitty and a bit worse to begin with but your body is just learning a new way of being it's coming back to that homeostasis um and to understand to up level to the next level you need to have that nervous system kind of flexibility so I think it's completely normal to to have those kind of symptoms and when you're putting yourself out there and you're doing like me with getting back into my business and stuff it's pushing myself out of my comfort zone and there's things that are rumbling up so I'm just like new level new devil like bring oh it on like you can face it I, I love that I've never thought about it like that and I find that weirdly reassuring to be honest because right. um, while whilst I have had some stress recently um uh I have also been really trying to push myself out of my comfort zone by taking my skills up to the next level and learning more and reading more and listening to more podcasts and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm, I'm literally bombarding myself at the moment with new education. And so maybe my craving for sugar and almost like my lack of enthusiasm for movement is a response to that stress and yes. that up-leveling, new level, new devil. I, yeah. I, love, that. I love that. Yeah, because you're growing, like me, massively. Yeah, that's really mm -hmm. fascinating. And it gives me just a, a new appreciation, really. Uh, makes me feel, uh, you know, yeah, it makes me feel proud of myself and my body. 100%. Yeah, because it's, you know, it, it's it's having to adapt to situations that have been external, but also that are internal. So it does make sense why this might be happening. So for me now is, you know, do I just ride that storm and eat that chocolate or do I at some point need to tackle that? That's the bit that I <laughs> need to need to get to <laughs> before I go up to dress sizes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the awareness though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I am really aware of it as well. So I can <laughs> He say to my husband, I really can't stop eating sugar and I'm just got no motivation for movement. It's really annoying me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyway. Um, so um, what would you say has 
been the hardest bit of sobriety for you if you had to choose one thing I think it's not having that emotional crutch you know to suppress my overthinking my emotions my kind of hyperactive mind and maybe you know some of the unresolved stuff in the past that has bubbled up that now I've faced it's being forced to face yourself (laughs) and that's an obvious positive thing but it can feel painful it can feel hard and also although it's not so hard now I have to be honest boundaries social circles you know and changing how I interact with people and seeing what works for me and this kind of thing that's really required me to step up and put these boundaries in place which I think a lot of us can go through life without kind of doing that so um definitely those two things yeah boundaries is a big one isn't it I wasn't even aware of boundaries until I no not was I I didn't didn't know what a limiting belief was or a (laughs) overwhelm meant before I became a mum as I suddenly started using this oh world word yeah yeah I know it's so fun isn't it yeah (laughs) boundaries is a big one as well isn't it because I do think um I know well I know certainly I can say for myself I was a big people pleaser as a, yeah. in, in my drinking life um and I think that people do struggle with that and I think yes. to, to turn around and say no <laughs> or you know I don't really want to do that or it's know, massive. That, that feels so big um especially in the beginning but I do think you develop strength in that area and now I have to try and remember to say yes yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so good at saying no I honestly it's so true like I think there's a book called fuck no um but it is all about saying that and actually like boundaries are the space required to love yourself and others and I just see that really lovely that boundaries about fostering relationships and having meaningful relationships on your terms terms it's not about pushing people away and isolating yourself and I think it is really about connection but we all do connection differently like I get overwhelmed by big groups so I like one-to-one interaction um unless I'm at a festival rocking out which I can do very well sober by the way I went to a 12-hour rave not long ago in Glasgow and going again in December and honestly like it was incredible and I drove home after and I was wild because it was so good but I felt amazing and I didn't realize how disgusting the floors are in those places because I didn't used to be aware of that Um, but yeah I think it's about looking at this from a loving perspective Mm. because the more you love yourself you can love others and you also liberate others as well Um, so yeah I also think people um, respect boundaries as well yeah you you think that you feel the worst don't you when you say no to somebody or you know well actually that that doesn't really work people tend to really respect that 100 percent. and but yeah it's interesting that isn't it because you you just don't think that they will you think that they're going to be annoyed at you but I think I do think that sometimes deep down people think I wish I could be (laughs) so our brain we can't always trust our brain yeah no, absolutely right. Um, so flipping it, what has been the biggest gain in sobriety for you? Oh, sorry. I probably answered that a little bit. My health. 
reducing inflammation yes weight loss but like you mentioned it's addressing blood sugar balance microbiome nervous system all the things around that but i've had the capacity and inclination headspace to do that um my skin like you know oh my god i posted a picture of me nine years ago drinking a woo-woo in weatherspoons and then now i look younger and even my wedding my wedding was another story i didn't mention that um <laughs> wedding engagement like just a look kind of you know oily skin and bags under my eyes I look different so I feel younger I feel more energized I feel in charge of my own thoughts and like spirit and what comes up for me um and I see the world the way that I am supposed to see it like I'm a bit of a kind of truth seeker and I can see through kind of bullshit and I know what's important to me and my values and I know what health truly means and well-being and that essentially the healthier and happiest we are is when we're connected to nature and people and good food and you know the simple life away from tech and what we're being told by the media so I feel like I can see the truth much more clearly and I can live my life in alignment with my values which ultimately has an impact on how I parent Bonnie in the world that I want to create for her. And I've got all this knowledge and wisdom that I can share with her just by being me. You know, if she goes down certain paths and things, I can guide her. I can have those conversations. So it feels powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It is so empowering, isn't it? Um, has it changed your relationship? Interesting. So Dan can like have a pint a year and be fine. Like he's, a very different drinker to me and he's actually pretty much given up alcohol as well so we're a proper team you know we both eat the same foods we're into the same kind of things we have the same thought processes we're learning to communicate better he's very logical I'm very emotional I'll come be like I can I know when there's something up with him and trigger poke him um so I think it's really helped us be more connected more respectful of each other um, validate each other learn different love languages in order to communicate um yes definitely because you know he used to get a bit embarrassed of me and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and and it's definitely helped our relationship it's a much truer um relationship we see each other for who we are and um yes we're a team there must be um a lot of tr- a lot of trust there as well um, yeah because you can trust yourself can't you so much more when you don't drink and you're you know you're not going to drink and so yeah. that fosters more trust in 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 a partner mm. um yeah okay so we're coming towards the end it's been such a great chat um <laughs> just flown by so what would you say your top three tips are on, on getting and staying sober? I would say prioritize yourself and trust that life can be so much more enriching and fulfilling. Um, be brave enough to go your way, even if it's against the societal norms or your social circles or what you've been um led to be to believe and understand that when you almost 
take away that kind of suppressive layer or syrup, (laughs) you know, the truth does come up and that's the journey. Recovery or however you want to call it is to recover your authentic self. That's when it begins. But the payoff, I think you said to me, Terry, anything worth doing isn't easy, but it a hundred percent is worth doing because I think you really get to know yourself and you start to love yourself and like yourself and health becomes like this self-discovery adventure. Like where can you take it? Where can you expand your kind of inner knowing and what you're able to do and with your career and with your life? Like, I think there's just so many more possibilities and opportunities and obviously your body is your home. So being able to nourish and nurture that, it will serve you. Oh, I love, absolutely love those. Yeah, prioritize yourself, be brave, and it's almost manage your expectations, you know, yes. expect it to be bumpy, but yeah. it's such a rewarding journey. Um, someone said to me once Annie you're on a roller coaster but you got your seat belt on (laughs) and I thought well that's like motherhood isn't it you know life is a roller coaster and that's a um, Ronan Keaton song but you can put your seat belt on like you're in it for the ride you're there for the lessons it's going to be ups and downs but through that you you learn more about you you get resources and you get that kind of resilience and bounce back ability so yeah it's worth it absolutely um, so if you're open to sharing your journey, how can people find you? Um, so Annie Breen, I'm under on Instagram, and I think there's two little lines each side. I don't know what you call them. Underscore. I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best thing um, so uh, that that's my main account. I try not, I don't really like Facebook that much. Um, I, I am on there, but um, Instagram. And then my podcast is behind the Mother Mask, and you can get the links for Instagram. And my website is anniebreennutrition.co.uk. Oh, Annie, it's been so brilliant. Thank you so much for today. And uh, I'm so happy to be connected with you. Um, I, I sh- yeah, share a lot of your perspectives on life and, and you talk a language that I understand and appreciate. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to how your journey unfolds and, yeah, staying connected. So thank you so much. Oh, same with you. And thank you so much. It's been amazing. And and can I just say, I'm really inspired by the other people that have shared their stories on your podcast, especially younger in their twenties. That's incredible. But everyone. So yeah, thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. All right. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at Sassy Sober Mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.